0: You're listening to the Legion of Reason. Well, this is the 213th episode of the Legion of Reason diversion. I am your host, the very or sorry sorry, Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. And uh, I'm joined as usual by my co-hosts uh, Christine, the the ever uh, there was it the Internally misogynized. Internally Yeah. Internally yeah, <laughs> misogynized. Feisty Twyla. And we have with us two guests today. And in uh, there are two ex Muslims and uh, Iranian born Armin Navabi is the founder of the Atheist Republic and author of Why There Is No God. Yasmin Mohammed? Yes. Hello. And Yasmin Mohammed has, has penned her own memoirs, uh, titled From Al Qaeda to Atheism and writes the blog Confessions of an Ex-Muslim. Both are voices behind the Secular Jihadist podcast along with uh, Ali Rizvi and Faisal Saeed Al Matar, who, who chickened out of being here. Uh, he, he said he was <laughs> boring. Uh, baloney, baloney Faisal. Uh, you're not boring. Um, hopefully we can t- cover a few topics today, including, uh, radicalization. And I want to run a hypothesis past the, the two of you. Uh, I've run it actually past Peter and He says that there, there is probably something to it. Uh, but he's not an expert, he says. Uh, I think he's being very modest, overly modest. Uh, get around to, I'm, I'm sure Linda Sarsour and care uh, the fetishization of a tool of oppression known as the hijab and especially in the so-called modesty fashion industry, part of the industry. And, and from there, uh, wherever it goes. But first, uh, let's, let's get to, uh, know our, our, uh, guests. I got to put up the Skype window so everybody can see you. Oh, there we go. Good. I, just, I see a green. Oh, okay. There's Chris. Yeah. I see. All I saw was a green screen. Uh, somebody's
1: telling me I'm a little bit loud. I hope that's better.
0: Uh, oh, Okay, it wasn't me, but anyway,
1: <laughs> I'm monitoring the. No, no, okay. I'm monitoring the uh, uh, YouTube feed.
0: And hopefully, hopefully, I'm not loud. Um, I don't know. So, so our guest uh, Armin, you, you you've started. What what uh, is the atheist republic all about?
2: Um, first of all, is my volume okay?
0: Yeah, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right, good. So yeah, atheist republic is just a community for atheists. It's the largest community, online community for atheists in the world currently. But we're also offline. We have consulates all around the world. We have uh, private groups, public groups. We have a, a YouTube channel, Twitter account, Instagram. But we basically we make a, we're trying to normalize atheism, but also make uh, atheists uh, make it easier for atheists to find each other, either publicly or privately. Um, and I'm also excited to announce that just today we released our first episodes of our podcast, Atheist Republic Voicemails, uh, which is basically a podcast with no hosts. Is people just leaving voicemails on Atheist Republic uh, from all around the world. And what we do is we just play vo- voicemails from people, atheists um, in Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, United States, Canada, Bangladesh. So if you have a message that you want us to put on our podcast, just go to atheistrepublic.com and leave a voicemail. And also do think, well, secular jihadists, should I talk about that Oh as yeah, or
0: Absolutely both you, you're right. members of that. So
2: secular Well should I let Yas talk about that or should, go for I, it. I, no, it's okay. fine. So secular jihadists is a um I I think, the only ex-Muslim podcast out there. And it's basically four ex-Muslims from different backgrounds and different places around the world. Um, Yasmin is there, and um, she's she's amazing. And basically, and, and the good thing about our podcast is that, first of all, it brings you the ex-Muslim experience. We talk about um, Islam and other topics, uh, but what what I love about our the, the secular justice podcast is that we don't always agree. So the, our audience gets to see like we fight and disagree with yeah. on different topics with each other, and some t- so the audience gets to see that uh, different perspectives from ex-Muslims on certain topics, uh, but. But we love each other as well. So even when even when we fight with each other, but it's a really good um, way to um, see what the ex-Muslim perspective about Islam and other topics are. And it's we're actually one thing I like to mention all the time is that we're getting a lot of downloads in uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Indonesia. So this whole uh, ex-Muslim movement uh, you know the the atheist movement in in Bangladesh, Indonesia. So for people that think that you know there's no hope for these countries i want to know that there's a huge demand for content like this in these countries
0: oh that's great yeah well, uh, i was gonna uh, something about the sexual oh yeah in the secular jihadists you you're you come from quite varied backgrounds but um, all four of you you know yes. uh, ali uh, is uh, pakistani uh you're you're from iran uh yasmin where you're, you're uh you're from the united states right Yasmin? Canada. No, Canada. I'm I'm one of you. I'm you're Canadian. I, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm you're half of one of me. I'm a, I'm both. But, uh, okay. uh, a dual yeah,
3: dually. so I like to say I'm I'm half Egyptian, half Palestinian, and hundred percent Canadian. <laughs> That's how I describe myself. Right. Um so born and raised in Canada, but uh it was my mom that raised me who was Egyptian. Uh didn't grow up with my dad. So I don't, not really familiar too much with the, uh, I guess, Palestinian culture, but very familiar with Egyptian and um, and very familiar with Islam because my mom was a, a very conservative Muslim and went to Islamic schools growing up, and you know the whole shebang.
2: Actually, uh, one thing I want to point out is that w- interesting between the four of us, uh, three of us were born and raised in Islamic countries, but. The one of us that had the most authentic Islamic experience wasn't even born in an Islamic country. So Yasemin had the most authentic experience with what Islam really is about among all four of us. Um, And yet she was born in Canada. Um, And that basically shows that, you know, ideas don't recognize borders. Right. So but, you Mm -hmm. know, so me, I was born in born and raised in a a liberal, uh, you know, family. So was Ali, and so was Faisal. But Yasmin, born in Canada, she experienced the true meaning and the true cost of Islam.
3: I think that might have something to do with the fact that I'm the only one that was raised Sunni as well. You guys were all raised Shia. I don't know. I, I don't know. Ninety percent of Muslims. So I think when you talk about authentic experience, like maybe it's it's the more majority experience for sure. I'm majority. sure there are Shias that are. Right conservative as well but right. my experience was the more uh, mainstream when we talk about mainstream muslims or mainstream right. islam it's usually the kind that i practiced
2: don't underestimate shias with their extremism it's just that we were not raised in a shia fundamentalist household but i don't i think it's mostly because you were raised in a you know people that in a family that took it seriously not because they were sunni because i was i, I grew up around kids that their parents took it seriously and there she is she has could be pretty extreme <laughs>
3: so, yeah you're right i just yeah. uh, actually ex-muslims of north america just released a video with the person they were speaking to her name was hiba and she was talking about how she grew up with like her it was constantly like, always gender segregation like when people would come to visit the men would be in one room and the women would be in another and And she would talked about how she was expected to get married as soon as she finished high school, because that's your only purpose, right? And and hijab being put on her at a young age. And everything about her experience was very, very similar to mine, even though she was raised Shia. But, of course, she was raised in Lebanon with, like, Hezbollah. So it's pretty conservative.
2: Yeah, in in Iran, whenever there was a wedding and we had to go i was i was like is this one of those that men and women are separate or is it together like it's, <laughs> so i had to know is it like a religious wedding or a non-religious wedding so oh yeah okay. i
3: didn't have option b it was always religious yeah. <laughs>
0: well yasmin you, you you're, the book that uh, uh you wrote about your life i mean i i it's going to be difficult to do this but could you distill it a little bit uh in a sh- in a short uh, reader's digest form uh, uh for our, for our listeners,
3: sure, um so what like I mentioned, when I finished high school, the expectation was that I was to get married now, so um I ended up getting forced into a marriage with a man named um Isam hafez Marzouk here in Vancouver actually in in b c He had come here. On like he's an Egyptian, but he came with a fake Saudi Arabian passport from Afghanistan,
4: huh.
3: yeah, so you know, how, enough how did, neon how flags
4: did you get fixed up. Sorry, what was that? How did you get fixed up? Did your mom fix you guys up? Yeah, or?
3: yeah, it's it's always families. you don't the the girl isn't involved. her her consent is not needed. There's a in Islam, a girl's silence is her consent, so. Huh. Um, so yeah, I was just, I was forced into that marriage. It was a very difficult time. Things are really, really bad with my mom and I. I mean, I go into detail about this in my book, but basically suffice it to say that, um, ended up marrying him and, uh, had a baby, had a daughter and, through a very, you know, like a perfect storm. It was the only time that I was away from him and away from my mom. So I was actually alone for the very first time in our marriage. I was contacted by CSIS. So for you Canadians, would know who CSIS are, but for your other listeners, CSIS are like the Canadian CIA um and actually how they found me was because my mom we called nine one one because my mom was bleeding from her nose and her mouth at the same time and so we ended up I ended up going in the ambulance with her to the hospital and I guess when they swiped her care card or something they got flagged that that's where we were and so they came and they found me in the waiting room and uh and they told me that i was married to an al-qaeda agent and i had no idea what that meant this was before 911 so they were like asking me all like do you know who bin laden is and i was like no do you know i i didn't know anything but i knew obviously he was shady i knew there was something up with him because he was in afghanistan and nobody this you know even I knew that nobody was gonna no Egyptian was gonna be in Afghanistan and coming to Canada with a fake Saudi Arabian passport unless there was something up with him. Yes. But I didn't realize how bad it was until actually now when I read online and learn about his background because at the time we only had newspapers, right? So I saved like the National Post and different newspapers that they had talked about him. but still, the information that was available then was is was very um like little tidbits whereas now we have a lot more because he ended up getting um he ended up going to prison in egypt and sentenced to 15 years so throughout his trial a lot of the information came out about his uh things that he was up to and his connection with bin laden and all that so um that's when i discovered who i was married to so it was um so anyway, I kind of jumped. But so I, when so I was in the hospital, and Caesar told me who he was, and I wanted to get away from him, and obviously save my daughter, get her out of that house because I I knew that you know this is his daughter, so he's going to want to make sure that she's raised the way he wants her to be raised, and and that would just be like a life of hell for her. He was already talking about taking her to Egypt and getting her fixed. Right. Um, So, I mean, even I didn't know what fixed meant. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, initially. No, because, I mean, even though my family is from Egypt, my family are from, like, upper crust Egyptian society. So, it's not, it doesn't happen in my family. Like, it happens to almost 90%. Yeah, female genital mutilation is very common. In Egypt. But Yeah, in Egypt. But my mom... Like my mom was her, her uncle was the very first president of Egypt. So she comes from a, from like a aristocratic family, and so they the the, the fancy people don't do it. <laughs> Just oh, like the regular Egyptians, quite folk. the Yeah, not Double the standardized westernized ones. Yeah, well, that must have yeah. been surreal
0: for you. I mean, like, like-
3: yeah, it was really surreal and, <laughs> and scary, and. So I got away from him, and I got away from my mom, and started to go to university. And uh, went to UBC, in fact, and that's where I took a course on history of religions. Mm -hmm. And that's when I discovered that this book that was supposedly sent with an angel straight from God to this guy in a cave, and it Mm -hmm. was so divine and everything, I realized that it was all just plagiarized stories from Christianity and Judaism and, and, and pagan um, stories before that. And it, it all just started to make sense. Like it, it all started to become very human. Like, you know, okay. He, he used to work as a, as a merchant selling things in the market and he was interacting with different people from all over Arabia. And so he was hearing about all of these different stories and, and then he just put them all in this book. I mean, it all, it, everything just made sense when I started to look at it from a human level. But, it, it, of course, once all the divinity was, was taken away from it, um, it's kind of this weird, like I was very grateful that I didn't have to live that life anymore because I was only living that life because I was too scared to burn in hell. So I had to live that life. You know, I had to allow him to rape me. I had to allow him to beat me because Allah said so. so. And if I didn't listen, I was going to burn in hell for eternity. So what's worse, right? Obviously, take whatever happens to you on earth, just just grin and bear it so that you can have an eternity of of heaven. So when I found out that all of that wasn't true, I was very happy that I didn't have to live that life anymore. But you know, I had been brainwashed with this stuff since childhood, so it wasn't so easy to um, to just shed, right? It took a long time. Anyway, so uh, all that stuff was, you know, it all ended when I talked about going away and escaping and taking my daughter and everything. This was a very long time ago. Like, my daughter's 20 now. Yeah. So, um it, this was all behind me and everything, but it wasn't until the uh, the Sam Harris and Ben Affleck episode oh. of Bill Maher, yeah. the famous episode, Infamous. that yeah, yeah, <laughs> that it that that was the episode that propelled me to speak up because I realized that there weren't enough people with uh, experience and understanding of Islam that were willing to give that perspective. So there were a lot of people like everything that Sam Harris said was spot on. But he was being shut down because of the fact that he was a white male. So therefore he's yes. gross and racist. So I felt like well I'm if I speak up as an ex-Muslim brown female, I'll say the exact same words, mm-hmm. but somehow they're going to be more accepted and because people can't shut me down by calling me gross and racist. So, I kind of felt like compelled, like, I have to do this. They
2: still do, though.
3: They still do. I was going to say, I was going to get, uh, was gonna yeah. say,
1: what? Really? You've avoided that? <laughs> Not really. I get called a Nazi
3: and all sorts what? of shit. Islamophobe, but, yeah. especially. People are crazy. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, Islamophobe. I've been all called
0: an Islamophobe. And it's like, oh, yeah. It's like. <laughs> whatever.
3: I get called an Islamophobe and a jihadi in the same day. So. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: I don't you know. even
3: like. It's funny because people ask me sometimes like, do you get really upset by all this Twitter hate that you get all the time? And I mean, I don't mean to like put a damper on things, but like you have to remember sometimes like put, put things in perspective. Like my mom threatened to kill me. My mom hates me. My own mother wants me dead. So some dummies on Twitter you know literal warriors with their 140 characters and <laughs> hidden behind some anonymous account like those little those dipshits are not going to affect my life in any way you know what i mean like i just just ignore block whatever go on and i'm i'm going to say my what i have to say and i'm going to do what i need to do and they can just you know talk to themselves
4: <laughs> <laughs> rage right. Rage in their own little space.
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome that you're like, getting to them. I think yeah. it's less personal than you symbolize something that people just want to attack. You know, I'm sure the some of the stuff they say is personal, but you symbolize something that um, you know, people don't want to talk about or they get upset about. So not taking it personally seems to be, you know, the healthy way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just weren't a true uh, Muslim. I, uh, <laughs>
3: Oh, I got I got that all the time. I was yeah. like, "Yeah, that's oh, right." Yeah. I wore a cob and I prayed five times a day, and I've been fasting since I was like, you know, seven years old. Like, I did everything that I was supposed to do. In fact, I was so scared to even have a thought against Islam because I was afraid that Allah was going to read my thoughts and throw me in hell. So, you know, it, it's kind of weird now to get told by people that never had never experienced any trauma because of Islam never really never lived that life and then they they come and they make judgments and it's 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 just ridiculous
4: yeah, mind-blowing are you able to get a divorce though or anything or are you still so the way it works in Canada is if you don't
3: have because I didn't have his signature on the divorce but if I just if you wait a year, like if there's a, if I can file for divorce and if he doesn't respond within a year, I get my divorce. Awesome. So at the end of the year, I got, I got my divorce. Yeah. Did but you get change your name
4: back? Oh, Not that it really matters, but it just uh, coming from that background and escaping and do, can you shed all of that? Nothing? Um.
3: So, I think that you can shed it to a certain extent. I mean, I thought I had shed it a lot more because I was never thinking about it or talking about it. Once I started to write my book, I realized how much was still in there. Yeah. Well, I would uh,
0: imagine that would be highly writing. therapeutic, too. I mean, uh, writing that book must have been a big help.
3: I don't know. Yeah, it was a kind of a combination of both. Like, I'm very grateful for my husband and being very supportive. And I'm also grateful that we live close to the beach because (laughs) he would just, he would basically just like walk me down to the beach and we'd sit on a bench and just stare at the waves and not talk. And I was like, after every chapter, I'd have to take a few days off before I come back to normal again. So um, it was... I don't know if therapeutic is the right word, but maybe cathartic. Like it was nice it was good to get that shit out. Yeah. Because when it's <laughs> yeah. in you, I think it has more power. Um, but you know, I'm I should I should mention that I'm going to be publishing the book with Atheist Republic, so with mm-hmm. Armin's publishing company. So I have to go back and do editing now and reread it and stuff. And so hopefully you I'll be much be. stronger the second time around.
2: You should mention in the intro that you had to take a break for after each chapter. Did you have you yeah, already read she did, Yeah. She did, yeah. Okay, great. So, but that way, that because that shows people that you are, did the the, the the you know the, the, what they're reading the, the sacrifice that you had to take for for mm-hmm. you know the the amount of labor that went into each chapter because it's easier for other people to just write a book, yeah. Should, it gives you. It gives the reader a better sense, um, a higher sense of appreciation for what they're holding in their hand and reading, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, Lalo, it's kind sorry. of
3: a mix of that. Uh, yeah,
0: I just wanted to Lalo Dagach is uh, in the chat room, and, I love you, Lalo. He's Hi, always Lalo.
4: in the chat room. Always I want you on leader. the
0: podcast, probably, Lalo. Uh, I'll get you on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's asking. asking best question. He's asking if. Uh, uh, yasmin you that you whether you're still married to him uh, from an, a religious point of view uh, islamically
3: yeah yeah uh so islamically a female can't divorce the male it he has to be the one to do the divorcing and he does it by just uttering the magical words you are divorced you are divorced <laughs> You are divorced. And it's That's how much power he has. He just has to say it three times, right. and boom, divorced. Wow. Well, what
4: if you just dump Islam? Can you just be divorced then? Well, yeah, because there's no such thing as yeah. Allah.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. So people are like, in the eyes of Allah, you're still married. I'm like, well, yeah. fine, but in the eyes of leprechauns, maybe I am too. Yeah. Like, who
2: cares? <laughs> I don't well,
3: care. Why is this relevant? If but, you dump yeah.
2: Islam, you you get you get your divorce, but you also have to be killed.
3: That's right. Oh, I see what you... Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, of course. Yeah. So
3: it's a high
0: praise. man. Armin, how did you you, uh, get to the place that you're at now in your lack of belief? Uh, uh,
2: uh, Before I get to that, I just want to say there's a loophole for women to be able to get divorced in Islam. But that loophole is closed because there's one loophole you could have – if the Prophet Muhammad was still alive, the only way that you could divorce your husband is by gifting yourself to Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. And that way, your divorce, you, you basically would be able yeah, to get – it's zero I, sum. It's
0: zero sum. You're, 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 uh, you're still well, stuck yeah. <laughs> with somebody. I,
2: I don't know if yeah, – I mean, as an, if you're not a child, being the wife of the Prophet could have its benefit. Benefits, right? Like, it brings a lot of wealth and fame to your family and stuff like that. But anyways, um, right. So, yeah, actually, I mean. it's – well <laughs> – Yeah, to everybody I mean, but
0: her, that's the problem. <laughs> uh,
2: it depends. No, I mean, after Muhammad died, a lot of these women were are happy that they ended up being – I mean, except that like, – well, forgetting that's what the they yeah, I, I don't like. Okay, there's a lot of history. Depends on which wife we're talking about. There's good and bad experiences, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah. So actually, is, one thing is very interesting is that I also became skeptical about Islam through history as well, uh, because in in Iran they there's actually they teach evolution in school, so that's not that's not a problem. They just say that's a Uh, God's way of creating things and Big Bang and all of that is accepted Um, so they had no problem that what really made me um, so maybe I should go a little bit back right before I became skeptical so before I became skeptical I actually became very religious and the reason why I became very religious is because it didn't make any sense not to be very religious if you believe in God like I could not un- when I when I looked at everybody around me. Like I used to live in a liberal part of the city, right? And um, all the people I knew, all my classmates, most of the you know the the religious people in school were the weirdos, were the you know pe- the people that you know nobody hang hang out with, right? So, um, but I couldn't understand it because if you ask these people, they all believed in God. If you ask them if they believe in hell and heaven, of course they believed in heaven and heaven. If they believed in the Quran was the word of God, of course, but they drank alcohol, they had sex before marriage, they didn't fast during Ramadan, they never seen, seen inside of a mosque unless it was for Ashura or us tos- that was serving food or something. So I was like, like I would ask them like, are you not afraid to go to hell? Like, oh, I don't think the creator of the universe cares about things. We're like, well, have you in his like book? Like, like, most people I knew read many books, but they never read the Quran. I'm like, how could you believe that this is the word of the creator of the freaking universe? And he's basically, his words are right there. And you believe that this is the words of the creator of the universe, and you have no interest in knowing what's inside. They're like, I could not get it. And, and when I ask people, like, I, I remember as a kid, I used to panic about hell. Right, I used to think like I used to imagine my mom, especially my mom, burning in hell. I used to imagine myself burning in hell. I actually mm. took a match one time and, and I burned it and I put it in my hand and just just to see how much it hurts. And I was like, I was a spoiled little brat, so I, that <laughs> really I never experienced pain like that before, right? So I was like, holy fuck, this really hurts. Baby, <laughs> can I say that on uh, this fuck podcast? Fuck no, okay. you can't so, say that. I like and then I was like I just tried to imagine that okay that that was that was fucking hell but (laughs) imagine that all over my body and then I tried to imagine it I watched a movie like um there was I think it was Joan of Arc I saw her burn at the end of it like five minutes of that that's how could anybody go through that and then I was like Okay, but but in school they say it's like thousands of years. They tell me the smallest of sins will get you thousands of years in hell. <laughs> Forget eternity. Like, just you could be a good Muslim, done everything right, m- not miss a single prayer, fast, charitable, everything. But one time you were rude to this random guy and you never managed to get forgiven. You, you f- remember, you tried to find him, you could never find him because you were rude to him, so you could never get forgiveness for him. You're you're fucked. You're you're gonna go th- thousands of years in hell for that, and I like okay, that's not good. But <laughs> so, I decided there's no way I could I could tolerate hell. Not not even ten minutes of it. Forget years of it, right? So I. But the good thing is, I, I mean, I thought the good thing is that I found a loophole. I thought like you know what, you know you know how in Christianity you have the original sin, mm-hmm. right? When you if you uh, you're born with sin, right? In Islam, there's no such a thing, which makes a little bit more sense, right? Because how could a baby be sinful, right? So in in Islam, they like uh, you you can't sin un, unless you you reach the age of reason, right? So mm-hmm. in, what what they told us, I later realized that for other Muslims, this age might be a little bit different. But, but what 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 they told us is that for boys, that's fifteen. For girls, that's age nine. And they try to say, like, look, Islam is feminist because there's this, because it shows that girls wisen up earlier, right? But then later I found that has actually more to do because the age of reason is also the age of marriage. So it's yeah. more related to that rather than it's being feminist, right? So that means that there is no – so you have two angels and they're, like, recording sins, right? But they don't record sins until your 15th birthday birthday for for a boy. Like they start uh, there's sawab and there's gonah, right? So sawab means like brownie points and gonah means sin. So they start recording. But it starts at age fifteen. So if you miss the prayer, if you have done anything, even if you murdered somebody before age fifteen, it doesn't count. So I thought like, you know what? Suicide is a sin in Islam, but not if I do it before age fifteen, right? Yeah. So I can if I kill myself before age 15, the only place I'm going to end up in is heaven. There's no way I'm going to go to hell, right? Oh my so I
1: made,
2: I tried to check make sure that I got this right, right? Because I think I thought I found a loophole and mm-hmm. I went to my t- religion teacher in school and I'm like, why wouldn't I just kill myself and make sure I go to heaven? And the, he the only reason he gave me and I checked with two other people as well is that there because if you die as a child you go to the lowest part of heaven. He- heaven has many different layers, right? And the oh. highest part goes to martyrs, right? And that's where Muhammad is.
0: So right? you end so up if you're in the trying, ghetto.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Still it's better not, than hell. Yeah, I thought like you know what? It, even a parking lot is okay as long as it's <laughs> not hell, right? I just, I don't. I thought who the fuck cares which part of heaven I go? I just don't want to go to hell, right? So. I mean, why would I gamble such eternity? Like, who knows what kind of a person I'm going to be? Like, actually, if I saw myself today as a, as a kid, then I would have tried it 100 more times because I would, like, holy <laughs> shit, this guy's an atheist. He's going to go to hell. So, me, me back then would have tried to k- kill me today more if, if he knew what's going to happen. Right? Yeah. So, good thing he did. You know, so, anyways, but so I jumped out of the window uh, in my wow. school. And I and I broke both my legs, uh, my oh. hand, and I f- damaged my back. And I was in a wheelchair and my bed for about seven months. And the only reason why I didn't try it again is because I saw what it did to my parents. Right? I saw my mom collapse on the ground. I, it was yeah. it was really bad. And I just thought, like, why did I do this to them? So I didn't try it again. I once I reached reached age fifteen, I was like, okay, I have to I have to do this. This is now this is a game that I have to win now. Or, and the penalties, and it's really unfair. Like, nobody asked me if I want to play this game, and the (laughs) penalties for losing is eternal torture. Like, can I just not participate? Um, So, and and then when I like, I have to be a good Muslim, like, okay, this is not hard. Just pray, make sure you don't miss a prayer, and make sure you do fasting. But what I didn't count on was that I was reaching the age where girls were becoming more noticeable than ever. And Uh it's really. And I thought this going to be easy. And here's the problem. Islam is not, you know, God in Islam or in, also in Christianity is not just a tyrant of your action. He's also a tyrant of your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you're sinning even if you're not doing anything by thinking the wrong thoughts, right? So every time I thought I had an impure thought, I was so disgusted by myself. And I thought the creator of the whole universe, the God that gave me such a comfortable life, gave me eyes, gave me hand, gave me food, nothing to complain about. And he has some so simple rules. And I'm such a pathetic little man that mm-hmm. I can't even control my thoughts. And I would cry and I would beg for forgiveness. And I would be like, please forgive me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, and, you know, think about it. At, at that time, at least I had the you know, comfort to think that at some point I will get married and it will be fine, right? But imagine if I was gay. Uh-oh. I would know that this is my whole life. This torture and this torment of me be disgust, being disgusted with my own nature, with who, what, what I feel, would never end, right? Yeah. So, but but at some point, but the thing that bothered me the most was that my parents still didn't pray, my dad always came home every night, opened you know beer bottle or whiskey and watched BBC and then go to sleep. And oh, I thought, wow. like, I like these people are going to go to hell. My parents are going to go to hell. And I tried to get them to become serious Muslims. And they were like, holy fuck, what happened here? We have a religious <laughs> priest in our house. And they're like, what, what did you call like? You know, actually, the day that, the day that I, I told them I'm an atheist, the, the, their response was, "Oh, thank God!"
1: While <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs> you through know, that torture for all those years. Well, here's, here's an interesting that, question
0: yeah. for Armin: If your younger self just showed up, what would he think of you now today?
2: Well, he would think that, "Holy shit, I'm going to be go to hell." He would go and try to jump out again because he would not want this to happen. Yeah. This is exactly what I was afraid of back, back then. Actually, this. <laughs> This is my worst nightmare.
0: The irony uh, because
2: I thought ooh, I thought how could I possibly guarantee have people change, right? And yes, you could tell well just like, guess just be a good Muslim and you go to heaven. But like I was like, How do I know I'm gonna be a good Muslim? I might lose my faith, I might be a bad Muslim, I might like be deceived, and if I looked at me today I'd be like, Yep, you got yeah, deceived. Well you yeah. <laughs> right, well, ended so. up being Actually, the worst kind of Muslim. Yeah, the one that left... By is, being a non-Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, it,
0: this kind of leads into uh, a bit, I suppose it always leads into uh, radicalization. I, I mentioned I have a, a scenario I'd like to run by you. And there's a lot that's made about uh, Islamic terrorism in, in the U.S. It's, oh, you know, see, it's not the immigrants. it's uh, They were born in the, in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. And I, I actually think that there's good reason for that and the first generation the generation comes over they're adults they have already have their beliefs formed they tend to move into communities which are which have similar cultural uh, milieu Um, the third generation has pretty much worked out all the problems it's that second generation which uh, you know when the first generation that came in have children they they're brought up in a strict household but then they're exposed to these western values every day in school for instance that creates a huge amount of cognitive dissonance and that struggle uh they, they either win or lose
1: uh, yeah you just uh,
3: described me
0: and and i think i think that that explains why there is it's it's that like you could say it's homegrown terrorism but it, it it's kind of uh It's a a battle of values. Uh, I don't know. Just see what you guys think of that.
3: Should I go ahead? Can I go first, Armin? So, as you basically just described me, and I think that the reason why what you're saying is true is because if I were back home in Egypt, I wouldn't need to define myself so strongly as a Muslim. I wouldn't necessarily go to Islamic schools. I wouldn't necessarily wear hijab. My mom wouldn't necessarily be const well, she wouldn't be constantly concerned about me having non-Muslim friends or or picking up evil, liberal, egalitarian ideas from, you know, music or TV or whatever. Um, She'd be a lot more relaxed because I'm living in a society that's 90% Muslims and the you know everything about the society the education the media the everything is islamic but when you are here in the west the parents of those first generation kids are the ones that actually feel the the, the cognitive dissonant no not the cognitive dissonance but the uncomfortableness more than the kids do because they're the ones that were fully formed adults in one culture and are now thrown into a completely different culture and they have to find familiarity. They have to find comfort. And so in my mom's case, even though she grew up in a totally secular home, in fact, she went to Catholic schools growing up because her parents wanted her to learn French. They didn't care about the fact that she was being taught by nuns. It was irrelevant. But when she came here to Canada and she was looking for comfort and looking for familiarity. She went to the mosque because that's where you go. Mm-hmm. And she was looking for other Arabic speaking people for looking for other Egyptians, looking for people to connect with. Cause she felt she was a, she was a foreigner in a foreign land. She was an immigrant. And that's where she found the man who married her. She w- he was already married with three children, but my mom ended up becoming his second concurrent wife because in, in Muslim families, usually when we say second wife, it doesn't necessarily mean he divorced the first one. And uh, and then that's when everything changed. That's when she became, you know, much more conservative, fundamentalist, radicalized even. So... For her, she was the one that was struggling with all that, and then what they do is they grip onto their kids really tightly because they don't want to lose their children into this new unknown foreign country, whereas the kids are fine because we're born and raised into this so we don't feel like this is foreign and weird and uncomfortable, but we also don't want to upset our parents and we also you know want to you know we end up having to to juggle the the two um expectations or the, what we want and what's expected of us. Um, and then the other thing too is that when I talked about you go to the mosque and, and that starts to become your community. So your the focal point of your life starts to become the mosque a lot more than it would if you were in a in an Islamic country. So that's why I think it beca- it becomes more of an issue over here. In fact, when we went to Egypt, My cousins were, like, belly dancing, and I'm like, what is going on here? You're all going to burn in hell, because that's not the way I was raised, right? But, they, yeah, it's super, very, very different uh, when you're in a Muslim country. I mean, that's not true either. Like, I don't want people to think that, oh, Muslim countries are totally relaxed. Like, Uh -uh. well, no, (laughs) they're not. But in the the sense of Islam being such... um, I don't know how to explain it to you guys. Like, you don't worry about Islam so much when ninety percent of the country are Muslim. Then it's just normal. It's just expected. It's just it's just part of life. But when you're living in a country full of infidels and non-believers and evildoers and gay people, <laughs> then you're gonna be like hanging on tight to your religion. If that makes mm-hmm. if if that well, sort yeah, of clarifies.
4: You see that in fundies here, they'll homeschool their children. They won't take them anywhere. They're, they they only if they go to a gym, it has to be only when other Christian kids are there. You see a lot of this um, segregation even here. Yeah, you got it. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, well, as Yas pointed out, it 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 that's one very common experience. But there's other common experiences as well. And you pointed that like in that's you. That's not to say that in uh, in these countries Islam is not an issue because a lot of people do so you know, do experience the, you know, for example, in Iran, I was arrested once for being, for just being in a car with another girl, right? Mm-hmm. My mom was arrested once well. because um, this is early. Right now, this is they don't get arrested for this anymore, but earlier years after after the revolution, she got arrested just because her hijab was red. It was too colorful. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, but at the same time, so one experience, one very common experience is what Yas mentioned. Another common experience that might be the complete opposite of that is people that had war on their religious extremism there and come here, and they're like, oh, I'm finally free, right? And for, I think for a lot of them, when they come here and they see, like, oh, Islam is, you know, f- you know fine and rosy and hijab is the symbol of, you know, feminism. And they're like, what the fuck? Right? <laughs> okay. so, so those are the other kind of ex- ex-Muslims. So, yeah, some Muslim community come here and they want to, they that you know, so there's many different trends, right? And th- the other trend is, like, people that come here and they want, like, when I first came to Canada, if you if I heard the Azan or the Quran, I would be like, oh, like oh no, like I would like you know, it would have this gut negative reaction. I still feel it. that way. I, yeah,
3: <laughs> fifteen years later.
2: Now, yeah, now, now I'm getting over it, and I'm actually reading the Quran. Like if I when I when I when I came to Canada, I was already an atheist, right? And I was like, I did not. Want anything Islam related in my life ever again, right? When I was still in Iran, um, I had to pass the, um, you know, the final, I I, I took the final year in high school in, in, at home instead of at school because I was wanted to study the, uh, for the university entrance exam and I thought school was a waste of time because I needed more time to study. So one thing I did when I went to school—you just had to go to school to pass an exam. And one of the exams we had to pass was the Quran study. And I went to recite the Quran, and the guy was telling me, "What do you have wuzu, which is the Islamic washing?" I uh, was like, "No." I like them. Why are you opening the Quran without the Vazoo? Do you even know how to do a Vazo? You spoiled little up you know, upper class kid. <laughs> like, 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 like he was basically being like, you upper class people, you don't, you, just, you just pass you just the exam, you don't care about Islam. I like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I like, okay. And this was my exam, but but I was the only one there because because I was a homeschool at that time. So I was like, okay, go to the garden. I'm watching you from the window, do the vazo. And at at this point I was an atheist and I went to the garden and he was watching me from the window and I was doing the zoo and I was like, I'm gonna go to Canada and I'm gonna never have to fucking deal with this ever fucking again. <laughs> like, I was like cursing this guy, like in the zoo, and I was like looking at him and I had, like a kiss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it like a cleansing ritual or something like that? <laughs> is <laughs> that what it is? Mm-hmm.
2: Basically yeah, faked an to orgasm. Watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
1: so funny.
3: I've known Armin for years and I, he still comes up with stories I haven't heard before that <laughs> <laughs> make me dying of laughter. <laughs>
2: no, but at at that point, if I saw myself today and I would like reading the Quran again, what the hell's wrong with you? You don't But but at the same time, I feel like I it's kind of you know, a lot of people are still in Iran and suffering from this shit. Like, I still see news that people, this guy in Iran liked, a, a fucking liked a post, and now he's on death row in jail for fucking liking a post. And I'm like, because I'm 13 years away from all that shit, I'm like, oh, the Quran is cool now. It's like ancient mythology, and I'm reading it, I'm having fun. But like, okay, yes, you can enjoy it, but please, Armin, don't forget... That people are suffering from this, like okay, read it, and you know, but don't act like this is not a, you know, this is not harming people, right? So, I I don't want to f- I I do want to be able to re- read it objectively as like as, as an ancient literature, but I don't want to forget that this is something that I hated with so much passion, but I the only thing that I suffered from it was. Once I got jailed and that, that well, not jailed, but held up for half a day. And a couple, like, I had, so another thing is in Iran, you have to always listen to the fucking Quran before you go to class. And that was, that's the best way to make kids hate the Quran. And also this, a couple of bad, other bad experiences, but people, are in jail because of this. People are on death row because of this. People are away for people away from the people that they love because of this. People right? are in
3: forced marriages because of this, because having of this. babies yeah. with people they hate and having to live with them
2: until exactly. the day they
3: die because of this.
2: Another thing that yes, like people like us could understand better, and I didn't understand even when I lived in Iran, is for example this, right? I. When my parents and my mom and many other women that I grew up around with fucking hated the hijab, and they always complained about having to put it on. And as a teenager, I was like, what the fuck are they complaining for? It's just, a, okay, Like I was like, okay, in summer when you're complaining, I get it. But in winter, why are you complaining about it in winter? And I didn't get it, right? And now I see, like, imagine if somebody came to you and said, like, Put this dog collar on, right? And like, I don't like no. And like, it's just, it's just like a necklace. What's the problem? Like, you know, you don't understand what this represents, right? Like, you know, when you get to tell women, people, you know, okay, men don't have to do this, but you have to do this, and you have no choice. It's not the. Def- yeah, you, anybody could. Put, if I put it on, I would be like, "Oh, it's not a big deal." But the fact that I have to put it on because of who I am—that is—I understand that a little bit more how degrading that could feel, right? But, but for, at that time, living even living there, I couldn't understand why women around me were complaining about it so much. Hmm. Privilege.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah nothing, nothing. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like well, like you were saying earlier.
2: Right. Go on. No, go on. Sorry.
1: Like you were saying earlier, Randy, about this fetish fetishization uh, yeah. of modesty culture and and the hijab. It just makes me. It makes me it makes sick. Yeah. You know, when I think it about does. the women that are forced to, you know, endure that shit. It's how did this get to right. be a thing? How did this happen? See? Well, let's talk about Linda. Hmm.
0: Well, okay, okay I'll kind of leads into <laughs> it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Uh, Sorry, yeah, Linda I-, I think
3: I think the reason why it happened to answer your question, Randy, I think it's because people don't understand that it is a religious symbol. People don't understand that it is a tool, a religious tool of oppression. People think that it's cultural garment.
4: They, they think isn't that it cultural is... appropriation, then? Yeah, yeah it, it is cultural. But that's the yeah. other thing. But it's yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> all those women in
3: the women's march that were putting it on, they're, they were all culturally appropriating yeah. Islam. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because they, they really do think that Muslims are a people. They think that Muslims are like they don't understand that Muslims come from hundreds of different countries and they have hundreds of different cultures and hundreds of different languages and hundreds of different traditional clothing and food and music and art. And Islam is just something that is on top of all that stuff. It is not their culture. It's their religion. So when we talk about Catholics, for example, we can understand that there are Catholics from the Philippines and Catholic people from Mexico and Catholic people from Italy and they're all Catholic but Catholicism isn't their culture. If the, if if the pope is wearing a fucking pope hat that doesn't mean it's <laughs> cultural clothing. That's religious clothing, right? And yep. They, and, and these people, whether you're from the Philippines or Italy or Mexico, you have different food, you have different language, you have a completely different culture. But they think of Muslims as, as if they are one group of people, and they're not. There are hundreds of different groups of people that all follow the same religion. So when they look at this piece of cloth on this the women's heads, they think of it as if it is like uh Liederhausen for a german person or something like that they think it's like a tradition oops lost all the skype that they're actually okay, honoring religious clothing yeah
1: we i think we missed some of what you said did everybody else freeze too yeah, yeah there was micros. a skip there
0: yeah okay oh yeah, uh, where you. did i Can stop did uh, I... It's tough to get back into a rant, isn't
2: it? It's. Was it? I was
3: totally <laughs> ranting, wasn't I? Like no, that's, that's, it I love, yes, I I love a it, good like, rant.
2: Yes, but even if it's, a, but even I know it's not a culture. It's a religious thing. But even if it is a culture, culture there are shitty cultures too. You know, culture is not yeah. always inherently a good thing.
3: Oh, right. for sure. But yeah. I mean, like in the seventies, people used to wear caftans. Right. Which were like right? And so it's like, oh, look at this cool—you know—it's Orientalism. Look at this uh, beautiful, authentic clothing from the people of the Orient. And great, that's fine. Let's right. let's all wear kimonos and celebrate Japanese culture yeah. or whatever. Fine, sure. do that. Right. But when you cross the line and say, let's 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 celebrate Chinese culture by binding our children's yeah. feet, like yeah. that's yeah. when things get <laughs> fucked up, right? Like they're not there's a difference between like un uh, unharmful cultural aspects and harmful cultural aspects and harmful religious aspects. And they're just, what they're doing is they're just being tolerant and accepting of everything. And they're not stopping to think like, okay, well, th- we should tolerate and accept other cultures for sure. Of course. But if we find that those cultures are doing things like, uh, sacrificing their virgins to a volcano, well, then maybe that's not a part of the culture that we should respect. Do you know what I mean? Or, like or the female... Where the stop sign is. is like or the female out too, genital right? mutilation. Yeah. Female genital yeah. mutil- mutilation is a perfect example. I'd like to see them trying I, to celebrate that.
0: It's amazing it hasn't been Actually, into the public eye in terms of fashion, right? Female genital mutilation. <laughs> Why not? Know,
2: A lot Why of... You- a lot of, well,
1: a lot of, kind of it has, but in a different way. Right?
2: Oh. You know? oh, that's true. People, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people ask us, how could, you, how could you say that defend people's right to wear the hijab and at the same time say it's a disgusting thing? And like, well, in the same way that you could fight the right for people to be able to wear the KKK costume and at the same time saying it's a disgusting Beautiful. thing. You could do yeah. that at the same time. <laughs> Right? But I mean, people don't
1: understand that. Like you can say nuance. that a thousand times. There's just some people that will never understand that. You know, you can you can be um, disgusted by the claims of somebody, but still um, defend their right to make those claims.
2: Right.
1: Because that takes maturity. That
3: yeah. only ups can do that.
0: Yeah. Nuance. It's it's nuance. That's the thing. And yeah. people don't understand nuance anymore. It's a it's a binary thinking world. And yeah. It. it dumb.
2: Yeah, and, and you know we're we, we, as activists we're in the business of changing minds, right? And it's not a you know if we want to reach out to Muslim women and change their minds, you know, telling them you know you have no right to wear the hijab is not a very effective strategy, right? Reza Shah tried to do that, and there was no conversions out of Islam. For what what actually, you know, what the Islamic mullahs in Iran are more responsible for people leaving Islam than Reza Shah. Yeah going out and removing people's hijab off of their head.
3: Same thing with ISIS. Faisal always says ISIS yeah. are the main reason <clears throat> why people are leaving their religion.
2: Exactly. You know, actually, during the secular time in Iran, when when before the revolution, even though most people, even among many people that were not religious, there was this respect for religion, right? So many people did not wear the hijab, did not fast, did not, um, you know, f- uh, pray, but they had this like you know oh religious people these are you know holy people we should respect or we shouldn't make you know we should respect the imams and stuff like that or they would still go to the shrines and kiss the shrines and stuff something that Sunnis think is shirk but um but now so that was then but now People in Iran after the revolution, and this is a, this is during the time where the Shah the Reza Shah, even before Mohammad Reza, he hated Islam right, and he was like looking at the West or like, "I want my country to be like that right and it didn 't work. people still had respect for Islam, but when after the revolution, people in Iran now, many of them, especially the younger generation, they hate Islam with such a passion. That and it's actually sometimes goes very extreme. Like they put the I'll right try to shame sometimes here, and and people don't relate. Really, but the thing is, at least their hate is justified sometimes, right? Because they are suffering from it, right? And the you know, but and sometimes I it goes on full on extremism, like in, in, in full on race. It goes even it becomes racist in Iran. Like a lot of hate for Islam in Iran is actually turns into hate for Arabs. But you know, at the same time, if you have to listen to, you know, a lot of people in the West will get confused by this because they see like. No, Iranians are Muslims and we shouldn't be hating on Islam. Islam is peaceful. And then they like these Iranians and they fucking are talking about Arabs, uh, like, and and talking about Islam with such passionate hate. And they're like, okay, I don't know how to deal with this. So the only solution they have to just to these people from the left, they look at this, like, what the hell is going on? So the way they had to. Solve this dilemma in their mind is with just saying, "Okay, you're you're influenced by the West. You're you've been brainwashed, um, you know, by Western media and stuff." By and
4: the Jews.
2: By the, well, yeah. Uh, well, actually, that's what Muslims say. Mm-hmm. That's not what the, yeah. the the liberals say that you've been oh, right, brainwashed right. by Western media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, actually, most of the, when I was in Iran, most of the atheists I eventually met. They did. They had never no idea that United States would be, and this is before nine eleven stuff, right? We didn't know, you know, United, We thought United States was anti-Iran. You know, this is political stuff. We didn't see them as anti-Islam specifically, and if we ever heard it was anti-Islam, we said this is just government bullshit, right? We never knew. We never assumed the West would anti anti-Islamic religion specifically. This was us. This has nothing to do with the West. This was like I became an atheist mostly because of history and seeing that the religion was man-made. But most of the Iranian atheists I eventually made, they just read the Quran or they were. Pissed mm-hmm. off that they were like I didn't know all the bullshit in the Quran. Even though we learned it in school, that bullshit was was cherry. They never told like I people told me they showed me verses like look it says that you can you have you can have sex with women women that you capture in war. I was like no mm-hmm. that's not in the Quran. Like it's the verse. Look it up. I'm like there's mm-hmm. no way. And I picked it up like holy fuck it's right there. <laughs> like like. Had, nobody told me about this. This was this book was here all my life. You know, like every family has the Quran in in Iran, right? But you know what they do with it? They put it in the Nowruz decoration, New Year decoration. They kiss it before travel. They they put it around your head. They put it when you have a wedding. They put it in front of you. The, the one thing they don't do with it is read it, right? Yep. And even in school, we studied Islam for you know for fourteen years, but. It wasn't, we never read the Quran cover to cover. It was just verses that they picked to tell us and the explanations that they decided to give us. It was, but these verses was always next to us and we never knew about it. And then, yeah,
3: can I I just say that, um, just to, to add to that, I actually here in Canada, I used to wake up in the morning for fetched prayer, which you have to pray before sunup. And then it's only a few couple of hours before it's time to go to school so you can't fall back asleep again so every single morning i used to have to spend it reading the quran so it's kind of interesting what you were saying earlier about the difference between a, a life in canada versus a life in
2: yeah in but a Muslim you understood the country. arabic like
3: okay and well, i understood the arabic so i knew yeah. that's a good point too Yeah. Because very few Muslims actually understand what they're reading. They just, like, they just say it as if they're, like, some monk chant or, like, some, you know, Italian opera. Like, it, it's, they think it sounds beautiful. I'm like, that's because you don't know what the fuck you're saying. If you yeah, understood fuck. the words, you would not find beauty in that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but, actually, most most people don't know that only 20% of Muslims speak Arabic. Oh. Yeah. Yes. So So. I
3: I knew what I was reading, and it was, it was, the thing is, too, about the Arabic versus, like, the translations, and I, I, reading it in English, it doesn't sound so bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's so cleaned up. It's so softened up. Mm -hmm. But in Arabic, it is absolutely terrifying. It is way worse. The words, they, I think that, I mean, I don't know how sinister it is about the translations, but yes. even as a kid, I felt like, oh, it's because they know that non Muslim people are going to be reading this because it's in English. So they don't want to scare them off because they want them to convert.
2: Well, the Persian translations under each verse was, was horrific as well. It's just oh. that we, we didn't bother reading the Persian because you, I, okay, so we read the Persian translations, just the parts that we needed to pass the exam. But yeah. the people that recite the Quran, you know, they just read the Arabic. They didn't bother, you know, reading the Persian part of it. Like right? you just recite it because it's the because God's word. It's not God's words if the translations are not God's word. So mm-hmm. reciting the the translation is doesn't really count as blessings, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't
3: pray saying it in any other language.
2: Yeah, I mean the whole yeah. the whole recitation of Quran is supposed to be in Arabic. So we not know-
3: only understands Arabic.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean the the whole concept of the Quran is is very different from most people underst- understand when they try to compare it to Christianity because you know in Christianity the Bible is just a book of religious book and the but but the Quran the, is the way people Muslims look at the Quran. This is not just you know, the r- religious book. These are these are the words of God. These are the uncreated word of God. These are not verses that were created at the time that it came down to Muhammad. These words, the Quran existed before Muhammad and it was independent of time. It's mm-hmm. the only other thing other than God in the universe that is uncreated, right? Uh-huh. And this this is these Qurans that we have in 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 our world is just a copy of the real Quran which is in heaven right and this the Quran existed before Adam so this and, and this gives the Quran a lot more significance so if you look at the text in the Quran if you remove all the vowels and the dots everything that is remaining becomes the word of god and do, so you can't even touch that without having a blessing on it. So you, when you when you look at those words, it's like looking at God and looking at the only thing in the world that that is divine other than God, right? And that's why it makes it very special. And that's why it's you can't you know um, ignore Quran when it comes to Islam and you're like oh you know most Muslims yeah, but this is Islam. This is this is not something you could separate from the Islam, you know. And, you know, when you look at Christianity, you have fundamentalist Christians and non-fundamentalist Christians. And the way people define fundamentalist fundamentalist Christians is people that take the Bible literally. But in Islam, there is nobody that doesn't take the Bible literally. Right? So that definition, the the Quran literally. So that definition doesn't work. You have to come up with a different definition of what a fundamentalist means. Or if you use the same definition, then almost everybody is a fundamentalist.
0: Yeah.
3: And if you look at Pew Research, then it's true.
0: Oh yeah, it's scary. The you know how many people believe in, say, Pakistan that apostates should be killed. It's like what ninety percent.
3: Um, yeah, in it's, Egypt it's that high yeah, too. Yeah. It's all yeah. If you look at most of the Muslim majority countries, the numbers are incredibly high.
2: But even even among those people that don't believe that, even among the people that haven't read it. If you ask them do you think the word the Quran is word by word the word of God himself they say yes right and they might have never read it they might if you read it to them they might be like what the fuck they might not even ever subscribe to those values but they still I mean I do understand those numbers are true and that's a huge problem. But even among the people that don't agree with those values, this belief that the Quran is the word of God and it's – there's no you know there's no mistakes in it and it's perfect and it should be applied to all people at all times. That belief is still there.
0: Yeah. Uh, we should cut to uh, Beach Price's question. Um he he wants to know oh, yeah. uh, what subjects to avoid with someone who is in transition from an Islamic country for their safety uh, and how best to give them emotional support. I think that's a really good question.
3: S- somebody who is in transition from an Islamic country, like somebody who's moving uh, from there to here?
2: I think may- maybe he uh, meant by re- leaving Islam, like Maybe, maybe also leaving Islam, uh
0: yeah, uh, Beach. Could you clarify, please?
2: Well, I can I, uh, I I talked too it. many Muslims that, so I may be able to, talk, to respond to it. But uh, Yasmin also talks. Yasemin, uh, by the way, Yasmin, you should mention the program that you have to talk to ex-Muslims as well. But
3: yeah, yeah, I was going to mention that if I could just make sure that I was absolutely. understanding the question correctly. But um, so I just started. I've been contacted by a lot of people in the Muslim world who are trying to find the strength to you know they're usually ex-Muslims, right? And they're trying to find the strength to get away from their families, but it's obviously a very difficult thing to do as anybody who's left their faith knows. And for Muslims, it's even that much more difficult. Um, chances are you're going to lose all your friends and family and community and you could even be threatened with you know honor killings or or state sanctioned death in uh quite a few countries i think it's nine countries all muslim majority of course um so these people are in those countries and they're trying to find support and so what i have done is i partnered up with a um ex-muslim named jimmy he's in the uk and he's going to be able to offer them you know coaching and just mental health support counseling in order to allow them to feel stronger and give them tools to be able to forge their own destinies and and um you know start a new life i can't help everybody individually because a lot of people like i get people calling me or contacting me from like somalia or saudi arabia or pakistan or egypt or iraq and i'm like each one of these countries are going to have completely different processes and there's got to be loopholes i'm sure or people that could help them i'm sure but i don't have all that information and so at least if i could help these people get strong enough to be able to help themselves then that's my goal
2: I want to say, you know, specifically. Oh, sorry.
3: Let me just add. Sorry, Armin, I didn't even say the name of the campaign. So it's called Free Hearts, Free Minds, and we have a a GoFundMe, which is the pinned tweet on my Twitter account, and we also have a a patron account. And so the money that you give, one hundred percent, every single penny that you give, other than what GoFundMe takes from me, goes to supporting ex-Muslims in the Muslim world supporting their mental health. So I am going to use that money to pay for counselors. Now, Jimmy is one person, and I have a lot of people contacting me. So I've also asked for more counselors, if you're an ex-Muslim or ex-Orthodox Jew or ex-Jehovah's Witness or ex-Mormon, somebody that can understand this World more than just somebody who's been lived as like an average Christian or average you know Reformed Jew or something, but somebody who can understand how difficult it is to leave Islam. Um, then I would definitely appreciate your support and the funds that you donate all goes towards paying those um, mental health practitioners.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That awesome. sounds awesome yes uh yeah. did you want to, to uh uh take another stab at uh Beej's question there he's clarified a bit
2: um, yeah i think he was very happy with but yeah said um he's he's gonna look into that um but i also i don't he he also specifically asked what subjects to avoid i you know it really don't want, you know don't if you have a question a, a question people get offended no matter you know no matter what you say somebody's going to be offended by it i don't really think you should you know just be a nice person and as long as you're a nice person if somebody tries to get a, if somebody's trying to be offended they will find a way to be offended but <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah oh yeah but when yeah. it comes but you know one thing i i personally do and the thing is that Everybody has their own method and what works for you doesn't really might not work for other people. Like for example, the way I I debate people is different from the way Yas debates people, is the way it's different from the way Faisal talks to people, the way different from the way Ali talks to people and they all work for us, right? And you everybody should be able to find their own way. Um, And, you know, and you only find that by talking to more people, as long as you're talking and listening, make sure you're also listening. um, You're doing a good job. Um, if you could, if you are talking to people, try to uh, see if you could have a YouTube channel or something to get it recorded. So instead of just two people talking, you get an audience, so more people could benefit from your discussion. Ask your permission if you could get it recorded. Um, one thing I do is always give the other person, if you're talking to, especially people that are considering leaving Islam or think or not sure, uh, give them credit for even thinking about it. Uh, you know, if they make a good point. Mention that they're making a good point. Don't be like, well, you know, don't just point out how stupid they're being, how stupid their religion is. Because that's, you know, in my experience, that usually doesn't work, right? The fact that they're even talking to you mention that that's pretty open-minded of them, that they're talking to people that don't believe in Islam. The fact that, um, you know, they're, they're skeptical. You know, and also remind them that, you know, if Islam is the true religion, they shouldn't be worried about um questioning it because if it's logical they will come to the logical conclusion that islam is the true religion so there's no harm in you know examining that because yeah, one i, I thing think I, that
0: the uh, street epistemology uh tactic of of how do you know and you just keep relating back to epistemology the how do they know that what is what they believe is right. true yeah
2: yeah I like that, but I do like to do a little bit you know i I've like that strategy. I do intervene a little bit more too sometimes like um you know I do also what about this as well sometimes that takes the discussion in a very meaningful direction, but like i said any 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 tactic is uh, is good, but uh, just don't be rude to people, no matter how ridiculous their ideas are. Just remember, and remember that, given the right circumstances, you probably would have believed in those ridiculous ideas as well, right? So, people
3: find that really hard to believe, but yeah. it's it's actually true. I mean, I I've seen videos of little kids, like little three year olds, barely just learned how to speak, talking about how they want to grow up and kill the Jews, right? And that's the kind of stuff I was taught as well growing up. And then you see like little white supremacist children too doing the same thing, right? Talking about like, I'm gonna I'm gonna grow up and be a cop so I can shoot, you know, the black people or or whatever. And it's really hard for us when we meet these people as grown adults to realize that these were children that were born and raised like they were brainwashed into this ideology. They never had an opportunity to think about it or to consider something different. Like it's, it's, it's not an option. And I, and I know that it's really easy to dismiss people and say, you know, fucking ban all the Muslims, burn them all or whatever, you know, I, I, I understand that people have that rage. But really, they are just human beings underneath it all. Some people are evil. Yes, there's no doubt. Some people are evil, and whether they were born and raised in a family that was teaching them these horrific things or not, they would be horrific people. But the vast majority of them are good people underneath, but they have been brainwashed to the extent that they think that this evil is good. They think that killing infidels is what Allah wants and it's what will get them into heaven. And it will get them into the best part of heaven. Like to be a, to be a jihadi is the highest honor. Mothers don't cry at the funerals of their dead jihadi children they celebrate people congratulate them they give out candy it's uh it's really hard to explain that i mean it it sounds i mean i think armin you talked about it one time before when you talked about the um the guy that went into the club in florida and shot up the the gay club there And you said, like, it's true, of course we should be talking about the victims. But let's not forget, too, that the guy who shot up the club was also a victim. And he had been a victim of this disgusting ideology for a very long time. So I know it's really hard to humanize people that we just want to dismiss as garbage. But they are human beings. And I had those beliefs. So it's it's really it's really hard to to reconcile that in my mind like to think about the fact that I actually used to believe these things and I used to live my life according to those values because I thought that's I didn't think I didn't know there was another option that was all what I was told it's literally it's 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 indoctrination mm-hmm. and yeah, you just I think I think we just said we can get through to people. We can get through to people whether they are neo-Nazis or whether they are jihadis. We can get through to people. Um there was a an ex-neo-Nazi actually, the guy that what's his name? Freddie Frankie, Frankie Minks, American History X was kind of based on his life, where he talked about he's never had like a bottle being thrown at his head and him ducking the bottle and then saying, Oh, Maybe I should reconsider my thoughts like that's that's not how it works, right? So what Armin was saying about you know being mean to people or or you know even worse, being violent towards people that's not how that's not how we're gonna get them to progress or change. It's only gonna get them to double down,
2: yeah absolutely, right, and actually. Yeah, You know, you have to understand that Yas is somebody that has suffered from Islam more than most people. So for her to be able to do this and humanize people, even after what she's gone through, like, you know, most people, other people don't have an excuse. Like, it takes a lot more for somebody that has been so, such a big, you know, when I was, like, thinking about humanizing Muslims, I was like, well, I mean, you haven't really... Suffered as somebody as from Islam as some compared to somebody like yes, but when if yes can do it, then no, nobody nobody no one else has an excuse for that. And I'm Actually,
3: it's me. interesting you say that because what made me change was speaking to Holocaust survivors, and if they had the generosity of spirit and the, the if they're if if they're human beings just like me and they were they're able to not be full of hate and rage and they're able to grow past it, then what kind of excuse did I have, right? Like I had had nothing in comparison to their experience, so.
2: That's amazing. And one thing else I want to point out is that, you know, terrorism in the West is brings Islam as a topic a lot uh, here in the West. But I just want to point out that if there was no terrorism in the West, it's so sad to think that we wouldn't be talking about Islam because it seems like people don't... You know, people suffer from Islam even without terrorism, right? I mean, the this, the thing that we are afraid that one day might happen... People are say warning that oh Europe is gonna be this and that. Well, Iraq, you know, Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh, there are people there that are already under Islam, right? And we should care about these people, right? So I you know, we shouldn't j- just you know, we shouldn't care about Islam. Only when it's a threat to us, Islam is already a threat to our fellow human beings. And guess what? Most of them are Muslim. Most mm-hmm. of the victims of Islam are Muslim, and yeah. they, these are our fellow human beings. And they are paying a big cost, even even in a more, much more subtle ways that that will never make it to the news. Like you know, like when Ya said, people that are in forced marriages, you know, uh, girls that are you know lesbians and gay people that are disgusted by their by who they are, mm-hmm. right? People that are, you know, separated from the people that they love because maybe they're from a different religion, people that are um, executed because they were just playing around with herbs and now somebody accused them of witchcraft, right? So um, there's there's so much, you know, we, the things that people show of ISIS and they're like, oh my God, what the fuck? These people are barbaric. Well, Saudi Arabia has been doing that for ages before ISIS was a thing. People were beheading, being beheaded in Saudi Arabia in public. People have oh, been God. hanged. People are being, ha- being hanged in Iran for being gay. Th- you know, estimates are 3,000 people in public were hanged for just being gay, right? What do you so, say to people, like, people
0: who, who, when they, when they... Bring this up and say, "Well, that's not Islam. ISIS doesn't represent Islam."
2: Well, read the fucking Quran, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Read the Quran, like the you know the Quran allows wife beating. The Quran allows um, capturing women in war uh, and having sex with them, even even if they're married, because they're you know war booty. uh, The Quran. Uh, allows killing on infidels and even 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 if you remove all of that the quran you know the, the one of the words that you keep on saying repeated in the quran more than any other word is the unbelievers yeah. the quran is obsessed with talking about the unbelievers and how disgusting these people are and how what punishments await await them in the afterlife if any book today was published like this about any minority, that book would have been illegal. If you, if you take the Quran and replace the word unbeliever in it with, with you know, any other – with Muslims, mm-hmm. right? Just replace the words – actually, Ali pointed this. Ali Rizvi, he said if any book talked about the Muslims the way the Quran talks about the unbelievers' heads would roll, uh, literally – Right. And he's <laughs> like the whole world would be crying, calling. It, and actually, the, the thing is that the Quran also talks about discussing like this about Jews and Christians, but more than any other group, the unbelievers. Right. Even if there was no violence in the Quran, the the amount of, you know, demonization of of unbelievers, of whoever is not a Muslim, of, of people that don't believe in Allah, makes it make this makes this a disgusting book and you know there i've heard so many excuses for these verses and you know anybody reading it and is being honest could tell that these ex- excuses are dumb like ima- excuses are kind of like if you read mein kampf and say you know hitler was not talking about all the jews he was talking about these Really specific group of Jews that were actually bad, but not obviously not all Jews are bad. You know, you just have to put it in context. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, and people when when Hitler was saying Aryans are superior, he was Aryan. You know, in some context, Aryan could mean all people. You know, like he he didn't force people to be Aryan, So like, what the problem? What's the problem with that? Like, you know, it's just the excuses are are so dumb, and 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 that's why sometimes I. I don't know. It's just some well-meaning, good people that, you know, here's, but here's here's, the way I excuse it. I see Muslims, good people that are progressive, and come up with these arguments. And I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? But mm-hmm. at the same time, I can, I can forgive it because I know you're doing this because you're a good person. And you can't, in good conscience, follow a book that is so horrible. So the only way, and you and you can't get you can't be a non-Muslim. You're so too married to this. So this book has to mean something else. But but they go through these gymnastic arguments that will never sell. But I understand what they're trying to do. But it's just that your morality, their morality, is so much above this book that, and this book has to be holy. So they're desperate for this book to mean something else. And that's what they're trying to do. Well, that but sounds unfortunately, like what Re- Reza Aslam is trying to do. No, no, I'm talking about good people. <laughs> no, I'm talking Fair about enough. like, um, yeah, I'm talking about well-meaning reformists that that are trying to do something that is unachievable. But you know, real- the, ex-
3: the example that I gave before was like, you know how people who like they want to be vegetarians because they don't want to hurt animals, but burgers taste so good, so they're like, Okay, but what if I get like organic grain fed, <laughs> like we made so like- sure that these cows had beautiful lives and they were loved <laughs> before they were eaten, then it's not so bad. So it it's it I think of reformers as like that. They really apologetics. Yeah, 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 like they yeah. want they really want the burger. They want Islam. <laughs> Even though they understand that it's, it's vicious, right? You're gonna, a, a cow is gonna have to die in order for you to eat this burger. Yeah, so are hungry. you gonna be okay with that? Like, just own it? You know, I mean, this is a bad example, because I eat burgers. In fact, I just had steak <laughs> last night. But, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, they, they really want to be good people. But they also want to kill the cow. So they're coming up with mm-hmm. all of these reasons, like, "Oh, but like, what if it's free range and grain fed and da da da?" Well, it makes no difference because his head's getting chopped off at the end of the day anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what if you just took? I, a I think they're good people. They really are good people, but they're trying to put a square peg into a round hole. They're trying to be good and follow this religion at the same time, and that's not going to be. Yeah,
0: and then there's that like cognitive dissonance again, right? Like there's mm-hmm. they're, it. it there isn't enough Motrin in the world to get rid of that migraine from cognitive, cognitive <laughs> yeah. dissonance, you know, uh, yeah. it's amazing. Not enough
4: but, Febreze in the world febre, to yeah.
3: spray on that shit. <laughs> yeah. As Dan said. yeah.
0: It's still flowery shit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how long you guys want to stick around, but, um, we can keep going for sure. Um, oh, hey, it's funny. It's funny.
4: I hear all those same, those same arguments when people talk about the bad parts of the Bible, it's like, um oh, well, we're not gonna interpret that part literally, or you just you just read that wrong. No, well, Lot's daughters got themselves drunk and slept with him because he had no sons. I mean, how do you misread that? And again, if people don't read the Bible. You're just being Christian-phobic. It's funny, how it's so similar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why isn't there a word like Christian-phobia? Well, uh- Christianophobia I mean it's there's Islamophobia. <laughs> Uh, there. Well, there's anti-Semitism, but it's not, not quite the same
1: thing. There's, no, it's not the same bigotry. thing.
3: Yeah, it is bigotry for for sure. I agree. It's, they're hoping, they're hoping that they can um, prevent people from criticizing Islam by making them think that Islam is some religious or, or sorry, some ethnic or racial group. Because mm-hmm. then it makes it horrible right? You
1: can't, you can't well, criticize somebody racist, for,
3: what was right? that? You're gross and racist, aren't yeah. you? Exactly. Yes, gross yeah. And yeah. 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 You can't criticize somebody for some innate part of their identity, right? You can't criticize somebody for being gay or, or a woman or whatever the case may be, right? You can't, that's horrible. So they're trying to make Islam something like that too, which of course it's not like I just explained earlier Muslims are hundreds of different people from hundreds of different countries and those countries include people that aren't Muslim as well like not all Egyptians are Muslim most of them are because the others have been killed off or kicked out there's one Jewish guy left he's gone now mm-hmm. and Christian people are being killed off all the time but the fact of the matter is the culture exists whether there was Islam or not there, still all of these countries would still have cultures
0: what what is your opinion? Now, the the motion one hundred and three uh, that uh, was passed by the Liberal government and it's just going to uh, to committee now. And the first w- witness that's going to be there is the person, the woman that the MP that introduced it. Uh, I can see you are rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I guess it's not a positive, uh, yeah, not a positive uh, view on, on this motion.
3: No, not a positive view at all. I think that the, the word Islamophobia is a farce. It's a joke. It was created by Muslim Brotherhood, like I said, to prevent um, criticism of Islam. So what they did is they're piggybacking on anti-Semitism. They're like, oh, anti-Semitism works so well to get people to stop you know, being racist against Jewish people. Let's try and use that for Islam. The problem is... That to be Jewish is an ethnicity as well as a religion, but with Islam, it's, it's different. It's, it's just a religion, it's not an ethnicity. So it's not those two, you can't equate anti-Semitism with Islamophobia. When you call it Islamophobia, what you're saying is you have an irrational fear of this religion, Islamophobia, And it is rational to fear Islam. It's it's incredibly rational for someone like me to fear a religion that calls for my death or for Armin's death or for all of our deaths, actually. So it would be irrational for us to not fear this religion. So what they were, maybe if they had called it anti-Muslim bigotry or just
1: racism or
3: whatever. They refused yeah. to do that. The conservative yeah. government came up with a motion that was identical, just took out this ridiculous word of Islamophobia, and uh, it's not what they wanted. You know, in Ontario, it was passed unanimously. They really want that word Islamophobia" in there because they need to do their their virtue signaling, right? right.
1: I yeah. noticed the media was was um you know, like, oh, if you, you know, think this, Everybody who disagreed with that motion was labeled conservative, right? Mm-hmm. Like the conservatives, this, the conservatives, that. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not conservative. Not everybody who, yeah, no. And I, I didn't appreciate that language and I agree 100% with what you say, you know, because so, i so, you know, learned. So,
2: so, yeah, some people point out that, okay, this is not a law, so it's not going to have any influence. But the, the problem the is step. that, yeah, yes. and, well, it was. Even if it's not a first step, it's already a problem because for for now we have the word, the horrible word Islamophobia on official government document, right? Mm -hmm. So this is for the very first time that now we have government document that legitimizes this whole Islamophobia acquisition. It's the first time that we have it on a government document actually. So this makes it a whole more – now now this whole uh, criticizing ideas being considered bigotry. Becomes much harder to deal with when people could point out to a government document that has that as a as an excuse, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I understand, you know. Recently, for example, um, you know, in, in Malaysia, right, a lot of um ex Muslims were being targeted by the government, and oh, yes, right. In the in the in the United Nations, they it was addressed to the Security Council, right? This issue. I thought like, okay, this is really great, but I didn't think anything would come of that. But then, in the in the in the group, in the Malaysian group, they pointed out that this this existence on UN document is a good way for people to get asylum now, because now they could point to a UN document that has that on it. So, just having something on a government document, even if it's not law, gives it a lot of legitimacy. And that's why having the word Islamophobia on a government document is is a, is already, even if it's not a law, is already a, a step backward. Yeah.
1: yeah, and um, like I think about the campaign to end blasphemy laws worldwide and how um, here in North America we're really shitting on our right to freedom of speech and uh, I'm, I'm really disgusted by that, you know. While other countries are trying to undo their blasphemy laws, we're trying to implement essentially secular blasphemy laws, right, mm-hmm. to shut down. I don't even know if Islamophobia would be considered a secular blasphemy law because it doesn't allow you to criticize religion or that seems to be the intent behind, you know, that, that Just, word, right?
3: Yeah. Everything no, always
1: t- goes backwards
3: when it comes to Islam, right? We used to have the Lord's Prayer in schools. We'll push that out. But now they want to have Friday prayers, Friday khutbas in schools. It's like, yeah, sure, come on in. Same thing. Right? Blasphemy laws, mm-hmm. those are horrible. We should we should get rid of those. But when it comes to Islam, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, let's create more blasphemy laws specific to Islam. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. This is yeah. the only thing about the US that is better than Canada, which is they have the <laughs> Freedom of mm-hmm. speech, the First Amendment thing. Like, there's no way you could remove that. That's going to be there. Well, they're forever. trying to
1: undo it down there, yeah.
2: aren't they? Yeah. they? Look at the they, latest, you know. They, well, oh, yeah. they're trying to. They, they yeah, the younger generation
1: it. seems to be uh, totally on board with
2: restricting freedom of speech. Why? It's in like that's a bigger mountain to climb because it's in the constitution. That's I just think I like, hope so. Yeah. I just I, I just think that it's you know that's one thing I'm just because in Canada it's actually. Hate speech is already a crime, like even before this whole thing, right? Exactly. So, but there is no such thing as hate speech as a crime in the United States. So, um, and you know, well, even
1: of- here we have a pretty narrow, like you know, it has to incite to violence, and that kind of thing, right? Like just name calling. It. When, uh, you know, the
2: keekster
0: case when you know the the teacher in Alberta who was distributing yeah. uh, uh, Holocaust denial literature and teaching it in his classrooms. Uh the Supreme Court struck down uh, hate speech laws. So it's not quite as uh, bad yeah. as it once as was.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good thing. It's just that the fact that even if it's not bad right now, the fact that the path exists makes people a little bit nervous. Yep. The thing in the, in the United States, it looks like even the path to where that does not exist. Yeah, right? It's a because thin edge of the, the wedge. Yeah. I don't I'm thinking like much longer than I don't think we're in Canada, we're going to have an issue with that. But I'm just thinking in the long down the road, you never know. I mean, the Jews in Germany never thought that was going to happen to them before mm-hmm. the World War II. So you never know what history, what surprises history could have for you, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: Yeah. So, any questions for our guests here? What do we got? I don't see anything. But yeah,
2: I yeah, but but just to point out at the same time that we're doing this, I think Mohammed Sayed was doing um, was on oh, the
0: atheist experience,
2: atheist experience. Okay. So you, cool. the YouTube of that is coming out soon. So go watch that. Um, one thing I'm happy about is like um, people like the Athe- in the atheist experience. They're inviting ex-Muslims, um, Seth Andrews. Um, invited Yasmin and I and Ali and Faisal uh, and also Sarah. and Mama say And you know, you guys invited us. Um, and I, and the thing. So thank you for that. I'm. I'm. The, the well, good thing point. is that people, people are people are not shying away. You know, the atheist movement. At at, at one point, I thought like the atheist movement is too shy to. Well, if touch you on to Dan song, Earl, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but no, more and more forget them or but yeah, yeah but more and more, I'm saying that actually no that you know this is actually gives me um uh, I'm really proud of the atheist movement in general, right in the West, like even you know they were like, well, we don't have experience with Islam, well,, yeah. let's bring on people that do, so <laughs> I'm 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 really grateful that the atheist movement is not I, I'm not not all of it, but most of what I'm saying is that they're not shying away from Islam. They're you know, because of the atheist movement was mostly liberals, but and I thought like, okay, liberals, lefty, they're gonna be Islamophobia. No, they were like, no, we're liberal. Liberal means that we're against mm-hmm. all all views that are against li- being liberal, and Islam is one of the big ones, and we're not gonna shy away from. Islam. So, so thank you to you guys and everybody else that is that is. You know, picking this topic and not shying away from attacking us. Well, well.
0: well. thank you, Ben. You guys are the the yeah, ones with the exactly. bullseyes on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're kind of secondary yeah. down the road. Someday we're going to be the ones on the chopping block. But you know that 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 takes well, a lot of bravery. You know, for... I'm
1: past president of Atheist, sorry. No, ahead, I'm past ahead. president of Atheist Alliance International, so I get some of that correspondence too, and I've heard some really horrific stories. And uh, you know, so I still stay in touch with some people that. You know, I, I'm concerned about their fate and that kind of thing, right? So I um, I know that there's so many people that can't speak out, so I feel, like, almost obligated to, even though I'm a white, you know, raised in a, you know, non-religious household kind of thing, like, why not add my voice in there, too? And, uh, you know, if we all do that, then uh, they can call us all gross and racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and put us on the SPCL, you know. Um, yes. Uh, yeah um what is that t- extremist bliss and all that mm-hmm, right
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: but there's oh, strength in
3: numbers the more them. of us that speak up the safer we all are right
1: exactly yeah
3: yes. and the more we spread the message faster and faster a lot of people i think have, agree with us in their minds but they're too scared to speak up but if everybody who actually was a rational human being found the bravery to speak up even if it's just to your family and friends and you know some coworkers. maybe not all because quite often people are are afraid for their for their jobs mm-hmm. um but you know what i mean just like speak up a little bit start asking questions start poking holes into people's reasoning if everybody did that then you know i i could just go back to my quiet life
2: <laughs> i wouldn't have to be doing this you know no. yeah I would. Okay. Now, okay. Islam should now be a big issue because I don't want to stop hanging out with Yes.
3: No, we will <laughs> to hang out. I would love to not put my life and my family's life oh. in peril. It would be awesome.
0: Well, thank, thank yeah. you both for being on. And uh, I, thank you. Thank,
2: thank you for having us. Yeah. 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 It's, been,
0: it's been fantastic. We'll have you on again for sure. So <laughs> thank hopefully, you. Hopefully, it won't be because of some very, very bad event down the road.
3: Yeah. hope
0: so not. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank
4: you. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.
0: You've been listening to The Legion of Reason, coming to you from Calgary, Canada. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider reviewing us on iTunes. Music was provided by Dean Morrison and Graham Hill and used with permission.